0: Hey, Daryl here. I want to make sure that you know that our colleague at The Athletic, Meg Linehan, has a podcast. It's called Full Time with Meg Linehan, a show about women's soccer, and you can subscribe to it now. To hear the full trailer, stick around to the end of today's Total Soccer Show, or just go to Apple Podcasts now and click subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always knew Christian Pulisic would win the Premier League. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. (laughs) That
1: is a great introduction, my friend. I've missed your introductions. Hello, (laughs) Daryl.
0: Hello. Um, We didn't say who for, (laughs) but Pulisic did kind of win the Premier League um, over the last couple of days. Congratulations (laughs) to Liverpool Football Club on their 19th English title
1: hmm. It was expected, I would say, though I didn't really expect it to happen yesterday for sure. Yeah. There was a lot of talk of like, oh, I think Chelsea are going to do it. And I wasn't quite there with it. And then I was recording with David Amayal. I looked up at the screen and it was one nail and I thought, oh, this is going to happen. I better record a uh, record a disclaimer on this episode.
0: <laughs> and it does feel like we I don't know. I don't know why this is, but I just feel like we need to offer congratulations to Liverpool fans as well. Especially mm-hmm. those fans who've waited 30 years.
1: Yes. Yeah. A a long time to wait. uh, And I think uh, maybe we'll have to wait a little bit longer for them to be able to celebrate as emphatically as they would like. But I'm sure there was some at home celebrating. I've seen lots of people posting stuff of them crying at 3am watching highlight videos of Liverpool.
0: Jürgen Klopp said uh, maybe just step out of your front door and celebrate. That's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that works. <laughs> so later in today's show we're going to get into Liverpool's 4-0 win over Crystal Palace and of mm-hmm. course Chelsea's 2-1 win over Manchester City. We'll probably fo- focus on the uh, the first goal scorer in that game but we'll talk about yeah. the game as a whole. And then I think next week we're maybe going to do a sort of Liverpool special. How the league yeah. was won, what Liverpool did, what they've done over the past few years, um, a real profile and celebration of Liverpool. We also want to listen to questions specifically about Liverpool and their title win. So if you have a question for us, please send it to totalsoccershow.com/questions. Send it as soon as possible and we'll answer it hopefully um, on that Liverpool special show. That Um,
1: works for me. I'm excited to do that because it's always nice to break down how the team won it uh, by going deeper in depth and like, well, they're just very good. And they scored a bunch of goals because Liverpool did a lot of things, some very obvious, some a bit more nuanced. And I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, I am excited for the fireworks around my neighborhood to one day stop. We've had fireworks for like two weeks straight. And I will say that as full time went yesterday, there were fireworks going off. And I did wonder if maybe they coincided. Like, maybe there's a Liverpool fan who was already going to set off some fireworks, but then they uh, expedited that process to midday or to late afternoon, I should say.
0: Yeah, my, actually, my understanding is these fireworks all over American cities, right, are something of yeah. a, a mystery no one quite... There's a few theories no one quite knows. I'm going to say Liverpool fans. It's been Liverpool fans the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> They've just been getting ready? Yeah. <laughs> so, also, if you're a Liverpool fan, you've been celebrating this week. Imagine, Taylor, if you're a Liverpool fan... And you're also an Australian or New Zealand uh, women's soccer player Mm -hmm. because you've got double reason to celebrate because this week, Australia and New Zealand, the joint bid was awarded the 2023 Women's World Cup.
1: And I'm excited. Uh, we had the original four bids: uh, Australia, New Zealand, Colombia, Brazil, and Japan. Australia and New Zealand obviously combined. Brazil and Japan uh, withdrew due to pandemic issues. Uh, so it came down to Australia, New Zealand, and Colombia. And it will be Australia and New Zealand, which means we're going to have some games at some weird hours. But I am fine with that because maybe we'll be in Australia by then and New Zealand as well.
0: I I've never been. It's kind mm-hmm. of a British thing <laughs> to go visit Australia. So this seems like a, this would seem like a good reason to go.
1: I think it's. You, you have to go to a Spanish beach in Australia and never wear sunscreen the whole time, right?
0: Exactly. You get as red Perfect. as possible. You get as red <laughs> as
1: possible. <laughs> and then, and then you have to add, it's a bit hot, right? Like you can't say it's really hot, just a bit hot.
0: Yeah. And then just like fan your face. And go, Phew. There we go. <laughs> but speaking <laughs> of the weather, I think one thing yeah. that's, uh, I mean, a lot of people familiar with Australia will know this. July and August, which is when this tournament mm-hmm. will be, that's winter. It's not going to be scorching hot during this tournament. It's going to be, as I understand it, the weather is like maybe high 40s to mid 60s. It's actually going to be really, really good soccer weather uh, July Mm -hmm. and August in Australia and New Zealand. And it's worth keep saying Australia and New Zealand because as I understand it, they're really going to split this almost half and half, right? This won't go according to landmass. If it was according to landmass, Australia would have most of the games, but it's really going to be a 50-50 split. More like the Japan-South Korea 2002 World
1: Cup. And I think a big reason for that is because of the expanded format. We are moving from 32. 24 to 32 teams for that one. So I think they needed more facilities. They needed more uh, cities where people could stay and, uh, and hotels and the like for fans and teams alike. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. And it does sound like they're going to have lots of games in both locations and lots of games everywhere. So uh, I am excited for that competition to happen and maybe to be there. Maybe Daryl will be able to find a way to make it work. Uh, the Kooligans had suggested they might want to go. So maybe we'll just make it into a
0: world tour. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh, one one extra thing. This is just in my notes of things I was thinking about this World Cup. Um, because both teams will automatically qualify, right? Because they're the hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's expanded to 32 teams, I'm pretty sure that means there will now be an extra Oceana berth available, which means an Oceana team that's not New Zealand will qualify for the World Cup. So it could be Fiji or some other like small nation that we, we've never really... Uh, taken notice of at a World Cup.
1: This also, like, maybe is obvious to you and to lots of other people, but I hadn't really thought about it till you mentioned that. This has to be the first World Cup that's hosted by two countries from two different federations, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure, yeah.
1: That's weird. That is a weird thing that I had not really thought about, but here we are.
0: Uh, I mean, it's all just paperwork, really, right? Well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, more.
1: <laughs> just smashing down the uh, the facades, Daryl. Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> more 2023 Women's World Cup news as we get it, um, yeah. and I'm sure more coverage as we get closer. I've just realised as well: 32 teams means more group previews from the Total Soccer Show. More work for us to do in the future. I look forward to it. I hope Y Scout is still around when we do that. Me too. <laughs> We've also got Champions League news. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been reported; uh, it was Sports Business Journal, I think, reported that. Turner has taken an option where they can decline to broadcast next year's Champions League. Um, They get the money back and someone else can bid for it. And there's also Mm. speculation that Turner are not going to broadcast the August um, couple of round of 16 and then quarterfinal onwards games uh, this year. So those Champions League games happening in August might not be on TNT. It might be out to bid, right? We could put a bid in from the Total Soccer Show, Taylor, to broadcast those Champions League games.
1: I mean i, I think I, do they need more than like twenty bucks because if if not, we've got this in the bag, I think.
0: yeah, and in the bid, we'll put like I'll take my iPhone, it's got a lot of a uh, uh, lot of free yeah. memory because I haven't got too many apps yeah. on it. Uh, we'll get a ticket to Lisbon and just me, you, my iPhone, and a uh, pitch side where we go. we'll broadcast to the world.
1: It feels like that might have been enough at some point in history. Maybe not so much uh, right now. No? So yeah, with Turner pulling out, you said they're going to get that money back. I do wonder if they're going to get it all back, or if it's sort of contingent on the, uh, like there being another network that comes in and replaces them. Because otherwise, that's a bit of a loss for UEFA.
0: Yeah, every report I read said essentially that UEFA could ask semi or mm-hmm. slash demand that Turner still yeah. broadcast what's <laughs> essentially the rest of this Champions League season, right? The, uh, yeah. the games that are remaining. But it wouldn't surprise me if there are plenty of broadcasters willing to buy the rights to those games, right? Like surely yes, so- CBS All Access, if they're going mm-hmm. to pick up the rights, uh, they were going to pick it up in a couple of years, they'll probably pick up the rights to the next season. I wouldn't be surprised if they're willing to just get a head start and jump in for August. I did see a tweet from Thomas Rangan. Did you see this tweet? Yep, Saying you, you might be seeing more of me than expected. The complicated mm-hmm. thing is... Thomas Rongan is an analyst for both CBS and B in Sports. So right. we don't know which network he was referring to.
1: Yeah, because it could be CBS, it could be B in, it could be ESPN or Fox. Uh, Dazen, Dazen, Dazone, Dazone, whatever it is. I think Dazone yeah. is what you say. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, that's, uh, well, that makes sense. But yes, that's that's another uh, contender in there. All of those names have been thrown out, but nothing yet confirmed. I, I still, though, like, we're not really bearing the lead, but we're bearing the talking point here, which is like, this is kind of shocking, right? Because it does seem to me like the way they're going to end up doing this, this sort of like tournament that's all condensed into one month, it feels like a... Club World Cup that is actually a thing that matters almost. like Because yeah. usually we have that World Cup in that month timeline. Now we're going to have the Champions League, which you will often hear it argued is better soccer across the board than you see at a World Cup. So this feels like it should be a major broadcast moment. And I was really surprised that Turner didn't want to capitalize on that.
0: The only convincing speculation i've seen is that possibly mm-hmm. the nba tournament uh, right. you know the one where they're going to steal all the best entertainment resources yes. from the mls players the pretty uh, much <laughs> the nba tournament might be happening at the same time and tnt has a big commitment to the nba Right. They do. Um, so much so that they have former NBA players um, in the broadcast booth sometimes. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that may be the reason, right? That maybe the schedule just doesn't work out to commit to instead of like an occasional Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon to commit almost every day through the month of August to the Champions League might not work for TNT's schedule.
1: Yeah, I think it's that, and then I believe I'm correct in saying that they just signed a a billion with a B contract extension with Major League Baseball as well, and so it might also be that like they're not sure what's going to happen with baseball, but they want to keep their options open in case it does come back, and so they can accommodate Major League Baseball across the board, and then simultaneously they know that they're going to be losing the Champions League, so maybe that's one that they're willing to sacrifice in order yeah. to focus on the ones that they know they're going to have for a while. And plus, there's
0: a long yeah, there's a long term commitment to those sports, and if right. CBS have the rights in a couple years anyway then i can see like committing to the thing that you already committed to if that makes sense yeah it's kind of yes. circular but it does actually make sense um, i'm with you i'm the, with you the good news is no matter what happens with the english language rights um the uh t-u-t-u-d-n 2 DNA, mm-hmm. I believe is how you pronounce it correctly um the, those Champions League games will be on Today Day NA formerly known the artist formerly known as Univision um, so it'll definitely still be televised on US television just maybe with Spanish commentary which I'm I'm kind of a fan of watching with Spanish commentary anyway because I, I, I only understand like 20 words so I find it less distracting <laughs>
1: Do you, do you focus in on those words? I, I sometimes do that when my Spanish is extra rusty and I'll be like, I heard sad. Somebody is sad on the field, even if it's probably not the word they actually said.
0: (laughs) I just focus on, I just actually love hearing the players shout words Mm -hmm. um, in espanol that I understand like tranquillo, tranquillo. I know that that player's trying to calm things down.
1: Yeah. Hey, there you go. Daryl, Daryl learning Spanish. I like it, my friend.
0: (laughs) It's mostly what any Spanish speaking players keep shouting at me every time I have the ball. (laughs)
1: so you're learning a lot of curse words then
0: yeah i'm I'm learning a lot of stop dribbling in circles
1: (laughs) i was told once by a spanish speaker that uh my spanish is bad but my cursing sounds like i'm argentine so (laughs) i guess i've got the the cursing down uh but not the actual language itself
0: beautiful taylor Beautiful. (laughs) um i try i try that's good. Uh, before we move on to talk <laughs> before we move on to talk, Premier League, shall we talk about one of today's sponsors? Um, I suppose we should. Today's show is sponsored by Roman. Uh, mm-hmm. Taylor, you know that it might take a long time, 29 days, 29 <laughs> days to get an appointment with a doctor. More so now, right? With coronavirus, that everything mm-hmm. is, everything is slowed down. So if you are dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. Roman is the answer because they've spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a licensed doctor in your state or from the comfort of your own home.
1: And that is a, a very nice feature because at this point, a lot of doctor's appointments, it seems, are becoming sort of telemedicine. You're having these sort of scheduled Zoom yep. phone calls with your, with your provider, with your practitioner, what have you. I had one. Uh, I had one this week. There we go. But that also means that you're still sort of having to schedule that appointment the way you normally would. You've got to book it well in advance. You've got to call in and make it happen uh, with Roman. It really is just a much simpler process. You can grab your phone or computer, you complete a free online visit, you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours, not 29
0: days. (laughs) And if that that licensed physician decides that the treatment is Mm -hmm. right for you, Romans Pharmacy will ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com slash tss that's getroman.com slash tss for a free online visit and free two-day shipping
1: one more time that's getroman.com slash tss for a free online visit and free four-day shipping was it daryl
0: it was two-day shipping and you know it
1: it was two-day shipping (laughs) uh thank you very much to roman for sponsoring this episode thank you very much to chelsea if you're a liverpool fan for beating man city should we talk chelsea two, man city one I guess
0: so. My notes are now in the wrong order, but yes, it's still Chelsea two, Man City one. Should we go with Liverpool
1: first chronologically?
0: Then I mean, I leave it to you. Yes, I think that even though Chelsea beating Man City is the game that, like, mathematically made Liverpool. Premier League champions a big part of this is that Liverpool really showed up and did their job and crushed Crystal Palace 4-0 yeah. the day before right especially the after night. they looked a little toothless against Everton in that nil mm-hmm. nil draw and Carlo Ancelotti's like we're gonna we're gonna mark your overlapping wingback back system really was enough to you know uh, to dull Liverpool's blade shall we say uh, the blade yes. was very sharp against Crystal Palace <laughs>
1: It was, and I don't want to edit anything, but I'll just change my transition from thank you to uh, Chelsea, if you're a Liverpool fan, to thank you to Wilfred Zaha, I think, if you're a Liverpool fan, for uh, having to be subbed out 13 minutes in. And I think at that point, it became pretty clear that Crystal Palace were going to struggle to create any sort of threatening chances, and Liverpool were going to do the opposite of that.
0: It probably helped, right? It probably helped. Here's how I would like to talk about this game, Taylor. I didn't give you you a heads up on this, so uh, feel free to disagree and we'll do it differently. I would argue that most of these four Liverpool goals, mm-hmm. each of them, I'm going to say each of them, highlights a thing that Liverpool do well and have done well okay. this season. It was kind of like a Liverpool greatest hit. How about that?
1: All right. I'm excited. All so, right, let's go through then. Uh, let's start with that first goal. I'm
0: going to make the case. So, the first goal, 23rd minutes, that Trent Alexander Arnold uh, free kick. Um, mm-hmm. The free kick itself is obviously just a magnificent free kick, right? It's Beckham esque from TAA, the way he bends it up and over the wall and around. Um, but the reason they had that free kick in the first place is Crystal Palace tried to counter attack. Um, it was Andros Townsend thought he was away. Liverpool mm-hmm. gag pressed. Liverpool gag pressed Townsend. Fabinho tackles him. Liverpool win a corner kick from the corner. Um, It gets half cleared. Van Dijk gets fouled at the top of the box. That's why TAA has that free kick. So I maybe had to go back a couple of sequences, but Liverpool won that free kick starting with the Gagan press, the the press on the counter-attack.
1: So there's some Gagan pressing involved, and then it's obviously just a really wonderful strike from Trent Alexander-Arnold, which has become, I, I guess in my mind, it's become a feature of his game. Maybe it's always been there, and I just haven't paid as much attention to it. But this season, so much uh, of like Liverpool's attack has involved his delivery across field, Andy Robertson's uh, delivery across field. And then here we have his set-piece delivery, which has been excellent and was excellent, and this goal is tremendous.
0: I think it's fair to argue that he's gotten more confident... Um, and he's just gotten better and better mm-hmm. as, as this season's gone on, right? He's still a very it's... young man who's been to yeah. a World Cup. He didn't play that much, right? But he's been to a World Cup that went, went to the semifinals, won the Champions League, and now he's won the Premier League. And I, I, he's not more than 22 years old.
1: That's a decent collection of things. The one that really stood out to me about this, though, was that Mohamed Salah, felt like, wanted to take this free kick. Or at the very least, was doing a very good job of of distracting and maybe providing a decoy. But he's right there on that yeah. ball. And it's like in golf, if you're about to like like wind up to hit the ball and there's a person standing like two feet in front of you, it's going to be a little bit distracting. And instead, Trent Alexander-Arnold just uh, focuses even more and buries that shot.
0: It's also the classic, right, Trent is right-footed and Mosala Salah is left-footed so I think it's the Mm -hmm. classic conundrum if you're what Wayne Hennessy in the Crystal Palace goal Mm -hmm. you're sort of like all right is this coming at me with a right foot or a left foot that really does throw you off a little bit right also one of them is Mo Salah which is also just scary in and of itself
1: like are you are you though first of all he is pretty scary uh and it's weird that like he doesn't feature as much in this game even though he's like he's like on the score sheet it still is like yeah but there's other players that we got to talk about here like it's easy to like not talk about most a lot of times even though he remains such a key figure for them
0: yeah but i think one of the big things maybe we'll get into this when we do the liverpool special Mm -hmm. show but i think one of the big things for liverpool over the past two seasons is they're no longer you no longer think of them as like oh if most Salah's injured they're in trouble right Like Mm -hmm. when they lost that champions league final to real madrid um Part of it was because Mohamed Salah had his shoulder dislocated, right, by Sergio Ramas. I feel like if that happened again, it wouldn't matter as much because the entire Liverpool team is such a monster in its own right that one player doesn't yeah. make or break it. You know what I mean?
1: Would, could you swing that around and potentially argue that because that happened, they sort of had to learn how to adapt? Or maybe it was a thing that they didn't see coming. And now Jurgen Klopp, after that injury, was like, OK, we got to make sure that we've got everybody at 100%. Maybe Jordan Shikiri was a little bit of a drop off. And if, if that happens again, we can't afford that drop off. So maybe even that injury puts them into stronger position down the road.
0: Maybe. I, I would bet that Klopp was working towards that anyway, right? Because you never work towards wanting to be a one mad team. But let's let's say we're both right. How about that? Let's say- But Mohamed Salah (laughs) just scored the second goal in the 36th minute. Um, The reason I would say this is um, an example of what Liverpool have been doing well all season is Crystal Palace sat deep in that sort of 4-5-1 shape and Liverpool found a way to exploit it. They created, so it's what, Jordan Ayew was the guy trying to pressure the Liverpool defence. Fabinho comes and drops deep with the centre-backs. They create a 3v1 versus poor Jordan Ayew, so that Fabinho can receive the ball off the centre-backs, just the other side of Ayew, in so much space that he has time to just take a touch, lift his head up, and by the time MacArthur is coming out to try and pressure him, it's way too late. Mohamed Salah has made that run on the blind side of Van Aanholt, so Fabinho has time to just chip the ball over the top, into Mohamed Salah's path. So the reason I think this is part of what Liverpool do really well is even when a team sits in a low block, they find a way to exploit the space that they're given in front of the low block with the passing of Mm -hmm. Fabinho and the well-timed run of Mohamed Salah.
1: And I'm not jumping ahead to the third goal here, but I would also say I agree with everything you have already, uh, the points you've already made. And I would just add that it's also a good, like, exemplifier of what Fabinho has brought to this team and how much he has sort of increased his performance level, increased his ability so that he is doing a great defensive job, doing the defensive shield, but then can still find those passes and can obviously still hit a shot or two when he needs
0: to. Yeah, I mean, let's jump to the the 55th minute, right? Uh, Fabinho's goal from distance. Kind of the same thing happens where he's given way, way, way too much space, right? so he's sort of yep. like, all right, you're going to give me the space. I'm, I'm going to just blast this um, and you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to stop it. Again, it's MacArthur closing him uh, too late. Um, but the reason Crystal Palace are in this situation this time is one of the things we always talk about with Liverpool, but it's worth highlighting, hunting in packs. I don't know if you can, yes, if you, can you remember the build-up to this goal. Mm-hmm. It's MacArthur with the ball. I think he's initially pressured by Henderson that gets MacArthur running backwards. And I would argue that this is one of those like Liverpool pressing triggers because um, they, yeah. they no longer go all in all the time, right? It's mostly about blocking passing lanes normally. It's a bit more sedate. But as soon as macarthur has been forced to run backwards, then what Salah's there and Firmino's there, the pressing triggers on, the hunting impacts is on, and poor MacArthur basically gets savaged by three Liverpool shirts. <laughs> um, and Liverpool come away with the ball. And then, then Crystal Palace is scrambling backwards. That's why uh, Fabinho ends up with all that space in front of him ready to shoot.
1: And it's, it's strange to say this with like the, the score already being 2-0 at this point in the game. But watching this one again, or like w- w- when I was watching this, it was moments like that. It, w- it was the gegenpressing. There It was the gegenpressing and, and the hunting and packs in the 90th minute that made me very confident that there wasn't going to be some slip-up for Liverpool. There yeah. wasn't going to be like a few more bad results, and suddenly there would be some drama, some conversation. You sort of saw them like, okay, they've already knocked all the rust off, and they're already back to what they do best. And not only what they do best, for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 60 minutes. It was a full 90-minute performance. Really, Uh, And that is not too bad, given that they've had uh, several months off.
0: In the 69th minute, Taylor, we get the classic Liverpool goal because Mm -hmm. it involves Mane to Firmino to Salah to Mane. It's the classic Liverpool front three combining and running all over you. And there's that brilliant through ball from Mohamed Salah. I don't know if you picture this, but he essentially breaks Mm -hmm. the midfield and he breaks the Crystal Palace defense with one... Surprise pass. right? Watching it, it was a surprise. I knew the goal was coming. I didn't think mm. it would be coming right now from this pass. I watched it after, after it had happened, obviously. Um, to put Mane through to make it 4-0. So I'm just going to underline that as a classic, just essentially the telepathic combo that is Mane, Firmino and Salah.
1: And, and and it starts with, there's I don't know if it's a poke tackle or if it's just sort of a loose ball, but the ball is like, like from Liverpool's defensive third, it's sort of rolling up that sideline if you haven't seen this goal. And it's Sajimane working hard to get back to keep that ball in bounds, plays it central, and then works hard to get back up the field. It's also that level of intensity and effort that we've been talking about, again, exemplified here.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I don't have enough good things to say about this entire front mm-hmm. three, right? It's just yeah. an absolute pleasure to watch. And I'm glad that they have uh, a Premier League title uh to, to put, i mean they're, they're deserving winners
1: obviously when anytime you win the title by 23 points with several games to play obviously it's deserving but it's also just it it has felt a long time coming not just because matches were suspended but even in january it felt like okay like we kind of know the way this is going to go yeah. It did. it never felt like they were going to slip up and so even though, like, and we're going to talk a little bit later about why you should still watch the Premier League, like, even though it might be like, oh, the title race is gone. I feel like the title race has been gone for a very, very long time, and this just felt sort of like a a nice coronation. And now they'll get lots of guards of honor from here on out.
0: Absolutely. I wonder if Man City will give them a guard of honor when they play. I would hope in so in July. That would be interesting, right? I'm, my guess I mean, is that they're they and they'll do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's usually what happens, even if it's your arch rival. Um, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that Man United and Liverpool have already played twice. So I am happy that that doesn't have to happen uh, again. <laughs> right.
0: okay. So more Liverpool gushing from us uh, mm. next week. But it'll be very specific, nuanced, interesting gushing about what Liverpool do well. And again, if you have specific questions, uh, tactical questions, I'm really interested in answering, right? About how Liverpool do what they do, because we've seen enough of them to answer. I want to say almost anything, Taylor. I said bravely possibly regretting it next week
1: yeah um, you are you are promising a lot here my friend which goes against your philosophy of overpromise, promise under deliver
0: i'm gonna overpromise and over deliver and you've got to there we questions go. to com slash questions send us your liverpool questions
1: it's gonna be an hour-long show and i'm just gonna be nodding the whole time <laughs> 58 minutes of daryl talking about liverpool <laughs> all
0: right I tell you it's co-host choice do you want to do mm-hmm. a fubo tv ad or do you want to talk about christian pulisic versus manchester city
1: I want to talk about Christian Pulisic for the rest of the show. That's all I want to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, let, let's let's talk uh, Chelsea two, Man City one. Especially since I already spoiled the scoreline. I'm sure lots of people were tuning in just to get that result uh, and nothing else, Marshall. I
0: hope people don't use us as a news service for <laughs> results. <laughs> we're, we're on the we're on the same internet where all the other results are. So um, here's here's my take on this, Taylor. My headline from this: Yeah, Christian Pulisic's best performance for Chelsea, and definitely his. Best performance versus high profile opposition. Because good as a hat trick against Burnley is, this was a goal and a performance, a threatening performance against Manchester City, who were in it to win it, right? Or at least in it not to lose the Premier League that day.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good shout because my instant thought was like, ah, there's the hat trick against Burnley. But you're right, that's a hat trick against Burnley, (laughs) getting a goal and looking lethal against Man City and a Man City that I do think. Most of their players were up for this one. Yeah, I think that that is uh, definitely praiseworthy, and that goal in and of itself is praiseworthy for sure. Do you want
0: to start with the goal then? The Christian Pulisic goal in the 36th minute. I watched. This I do. I watched this in my mm-hmm. car. Um, I just happened, so I couldn't watch this game properly live because I was on the way back from Boston. Um, but I just on my phone. I just had this feeling around about the thirty-something minute to just turn it on, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, really? I don't want to waste too much of my data, right? But I'm going to watch five ten minutes of this game." Obviously DVR on it, I can watch it when I get back to the apartment. I managed to just turn it on, watch Christian Pulisic score that goal, and then turn it off.
1: That is outstanding work by you, my friend. You have a, a psychic connection to Christian Apparently. Pulisic. I was, as I said, not actively watching this game. It was reflected off of the frame picture I have in front of me because the TV was behind me while I was doing that interview. So I missed the goal as it happened.
0: It was an own goal if you saw the reflection. In,
1: in some ways. Christian, uh, you're going uh, the wrong way. <laughs> oh no <laughs> you've made a horrible mistake but uh my, the way i realized it was christian ballistic is because i looked up and saw one nil and was surprised that chelsea were ahead and then saw that we, i had a missed text uh that went to you as well from our friend john tolbert which i will uh so we don't have to bleep it out i would just say it was holy shnikes and i was like <laughs> i bet christian ballistic scored and then that is exactly how that went down
0: <laughs> so let's talk about the goal taylor
1: mm-hmm. um
0: it is a manchester city free kick
1: uh uh-huh, obviously
0: christian pulisic is they are doing like a zonal marking thing right and pulisic is just tasked with being at the top of the chelsea box um mm-hmm. i think supposed to like clear up any danger there but then also you know he's the first to go and lead the counter-attack if one happens yeah rudiger heads it away because zonal marking works that's just kidding <laughs> can, worth I, can I
1: can i pause you right there for a moment yeah. uh just to say that okay maybe maybe it does maybe it does but the thing that I really enjoyed about like that aspect of this goal is that earlier in the game Fernandinho gets a sort of uncontested header and the commentator says like oh he's open because Polišic lost him and I watching it like what watching it back thought like oh man that's not great like you never want to see your player lose that mark and watching the way this goal happens you realize no he was doing what was asked of him. Yes. he's intentionally not tracking that runner to stay in the position to either pick up that loose ball encounter or to apply that pressure as you said so if you remember if you listeners remember that moment when the commentator said he lost his man he did not because zonal marking.
0: he stayed in his zone ready to mm-hmm. attack the ball if needed and that's why yep. rudiger is like aggressively going for this ball rather than worrying about marking a man right this is exactly. where zonal marking works is you get to attack exactly. the ball. i will get off my mm-hmm. zonal marking soapbox <laughs> and focus <laughs> on christian pulisic though so i mean that's maybe what benjamin Mendy should have done uh, i believe so yeah so taylor before we talk about what pulisic does yeah what were Gunduhan and Mendy doing? I have my theory, but I want to hear what you think happened between these two with the mix-up that allowed Pulisic sure. to burst through.
1: So if you haven't seen it, it's basically the ball is cleared. It's like between the two of them, Mendy gets the ball. He tries to play a pass to Gundogan, I think, and then it goes into the space there. If you watch it, it's Gundogan very emphatically gesturing that there is a ton of space behind Benjamin Mendy. And I think all I can figure is that he was saying, like, turn and go that way or maybe leave the ball, then I'll take it that way. And Benjamin Mendy, for whatever reason, heard that, read that as, pass the ball behind me. Like, I think he's trying to sort of maybe, maybe even he's trying to, like, take that touch into space and then Ilkay Gundogan can continue to run off into where there was other space and now you've got two different options. But either way, it did not
0: work. So, yeah, my take was I thought Mendy was essentially trying to be helpful and trying Mm -hmm. to, like, set the ball for Gunduan, but Gunduan thought Gunduan was going to take the ball and go to the yep. left. And so it ends up with uh, Mendy touching it to the right and then backing off, and Gunduan carrying on to the left and then suddenly yep. realizing he doesn't have the ball. And Christian Pulisic, to his credit, he was immediately pressuring these two before there was even a slip-up, right? And that's why he's closing so fast. And then when the actual slip-up happens, he is already at top speed so that when he takes his first touch, he blows by Gundogan, right? Because he's already like gone zero to 60 in a few seconds.
1: Well, I think he he definitely like has no problem getting away from Gunduan, but I also don't really put anything on Gunduan here. I know some people have pointed out that he doesn't do like the best job making up that ground, but I think again that's because of Benjamin. Yeah, Mendy. I agree because Benjamin yeah. Mendy comes over to try to deal with Christian Pulisic um, and ends up obviously stabbing, getting beat. But that's the issue, I think, because Gundawan now thinks, okay, he's kind of put that fire out. He's going to slow down this counterattack. Pulisic will probably have to cut back. But even if he doesn't, he'll continue to sort of move at a slower pace out towards the channel and I can move back central and cover. So he is kind of maybe at three-quarter speed as opposed to a full sprint. Gundawan is trying to get back to that central covering position and then Mendy dives in and gets beat. And now that central covering position is moot because Pulisic has a direct line to goal.
0: Agreed. Uh, here's why I wanted to focus on that, though, because I want to praise Christian Pulisic for Absolutely. it's essentially the hard work of immediately applying the pressure and probably yeah. to some degree forcing the mistake because somebody's coming already. Right. Because mm-hmm. I've definitely seen uh, many, many top level games where the guy at the top of the box who's supposed to go and apply pressure to like the back two who are all the way back after a set piece will kind of just jog up and take a position and try and take an angle, right? Punasik's mm. charging at them early, putting the pressure on early and almost like helps create this opportunity for himself.
1: Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's, he he definitely creates the opportunity and then takes it really, really well. I also have to believe that that is exactly what he has been asked or told to do because you don't see that like, okay, he wins the ball back and now let's reestablish possession and let's slow it down and let's make sure we don't leave ourselves vulnerable to counterattack. There's none of that. There's none of that. Like keep the ball moving and let's kill some time. It is definitely get that ball. And if there's any opportunity, go to goal. And if there's any opportunity to go from zero to 100 in terms, Of acceleration do that as well
0: 0 to 100 feels better than 0 to 60 i think yeah it does it's faster than your average faster than your average car <laughs> um, our,
1: and our friend our friend adam snavely uh pointed this out uh when he was uh analyzing this goal that like did you read his news like you I did, yeah, I did. did. You don't do a ton of step overs. You don't get a ton of step overs with Pulisic. Maybe you'll get one here or there. You're not getting a ton of those flashy moves. His biggest weapon remains his acceleration. Yeah. And it's a thing we've seen him do with the U.S. national team. Not quite to this level, but we have seen this, where he kind of gets the ball at midfield and goes on a 30-yard sprint and suddenly the defense is uh, under pressure or in trouble. And it's the same thing here. I think he kind of baits Benjamin Mendy. Mendy thinks, oh, there's, like, I've got this play. I can put in a little poke tackle and that will end it. And he does not uh, account for the acceleration that Christian Pulisic has. And that's why he's able to get away so quickly. So
0: Pulisic was already at 100. Um, which we're going to assume is like the top speed on Asker Hill, um, as he's approaching, approaching Mendy. I think he does slow down a little bit, right? He doesn't yep. hit the brakes, but I think he just eases his foot off the accelerator. I see him look to his right. I think Angolo Kante might have been the nearest player, but he's way, way behind him, right? So I feel mm. like there's a, there's a split-second decision where Pulisic's thinking, okay, maybe I can think about squaring this, but at the very least, I slow, then you bait Mendy into thinking, all right, I've got him, I've got him, and then you go, right? Slow and then go. It's basically... It's kind of Pulisic's equivalent of a step over, right? Because we see him do this a lot, slow and then go. Mm -hmm. Because when you change your level of pace, it makes it harder for the opponent to time the tackle. And that's why you see Mendy sort of go for it, but Pulisic's gone.
1: And then it was also really cool that he basically, uh, from Mario Kart, runs into the flashing star. And that's where he's <laughs> able to then just accelerate away and is impervious to all challenges from that point on.
0: There are a few pleasures in life, like getting the flashing star in Mario Kart. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. <laughs> what about the finish? Have you got anything specific you want to say about the finish? Because Gunduana has started to yeah. close, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a credit to Pulisic again because he still has the acceleration, but he decelerates enough that he knows he can still keep the distance so that he can finish the way he wants. But he also reads what Aderson is doing and then opens up and is able to kind of put that curve, the instep finish to bend it around Aderson, but into the side netting. I mean, it's an excellent finish. It really is like great pressure to force a mistake. I do think it's his pressure that like, if, if not forces it, then at the yeah. very least exploits the mistake. I, I said then- that earlier,
0: expecting you to maybe disagree with me, but I like that you're all in with me on that.
1: No, I am. I am. Cause because I, I went back and, and watched it again. And even when Mendy makes that initial mistake, I think he sort of thinks like, oh, but I've got time. I'll just jog over and re- and then realizes like, oh no, there is a player hurtling at me at full speed. I've got to adjust this yeah. approach. Uh, but then Pulisic has that acceleration to get by Mendy again. And then to have the finish—it's like a really a one-two-three uh, step process, a one-two-three punch—and I enjoyed every part of it.
0: Ah, should we let's like talk as well about the rest of Pulisic's uh, performance. Sure. in this game I felt like mm-hmm. he was a constant threat he had a few moments right he had the uh nice one two with Giroud and then accelerate uh past Laporte and lays it out wide he has the uh the run in behind Fernandinho where he was just obviously way too fast for Fernandinho and it's cleared off the line he's even involved in the the penalty win right I yeah. know it's not mm-hmm. he's not it's not his touch that directly causes the handball but it's the touch before he keeps it alive basically right
1: yeah, exactly. Because it's I think it the cross comes in, it's partially cleared, it gets back to like uh Abraham, Abraham shot and then Pulisic is there, bundles it and Abraham has another chance after that. But yes, it's Pulisic being in the right position to try to get a thigh to it. And so the one that you mentioned when he gets past for Nazinho, the way he goes around Aderson I thought was really impressive. I think it's it's only just that Kyle Walker is very fast. I watched this yeah. again and thought, like, oh, maybe he underhits it, maybe he thinks he's got this goal and just sort of doesn't really realize that he needs to put more power behind it. But I think he really does everything right and it's it is what maybe a half an inch from being a goal. Kyle Walker just digs it off the line at the last second. And it's a credit to him as well, Kyle Walker. Not only does he stop it from going in, but watching it, I watched this like thirty times. (laughs) Those plays are so easy to get a red card on because he stops it but his body the momentum continues forward and even if you stop it with your foot but continue to slide it's so easy for that to hit your arm and either you carry it into the goal or it hits your arm and you like inadvertently use your arm to stop it and that he's able to sort of avoid intentionally using his arm so that then that ball rolls a little bit away and gets cleared it's great defensive work but it's equally great attacking work from Christian Pulisic.
0: And I think we, can, I'm, we I'm starting to get a picture of what Christian Pulisic is doing really well for Chelsea. Um, it's that sometimes mm-hmm. he'll pull wide and can just accelerate yep. at people. There's a, there's a moment really early on. It's like the sixth minute where he really like turns a corner around Kyle Walker and accelerates away from him. I mean, the, that not many people can do that. Like you just said, Walker Walker's so fast, he can make up that ground and slide back on the line, right? So there's just Pulisic's pace as a left winger dribbling inside that can really scare people. But then I also think he's really mastered knowing when to make those interior diagonal runs to just be in the six-yard box, right? There's a couple of moments where um, I think there's a William cross that he almost meets. There's the... Uh, the involvement with the penalty that we talked about, he's really good at knowing when to arrive essentially at the, either the back post or the far post, uh, sorry, the near post or the far post um, inside the six-yard box. That is a skill that Pulisic, I think, has mastered really early in his career.
1: Yeah. And I really enjoy seeing Christian Pulisic mastering skills and doing exactly what's being asked of him because it means that we're going to likely get to see more of him because as long as you're doing what your manager asks, they're going to continue to play you. I also sort of enjoy the irony of... Things that Man City have done throughout this season and gotten away with came back to bite them a little bit. I know I'm not the first person to point this out, but watching it again, it was very clear that Kevin De Bruyne in the lead up to this, it's Willian kind of picks the ball up, goes on that run down the line. Kevin De Bruyne goes to the professional tackle or like, you know, the kind of pullback Fernandinho do all the time and does that, and Willian, to his credit, doesn't stop. He doesn't throw his hands up and and yell at the referee. He continues running, and now De Bruyne has to go after him and continue to pursue, and you can, there is a moment when you can see Kevin De Bruyne realize, oh, I can't do that again, or I could get a red card because I could get two yellows for this in the same sequence, and he just backs off, and it's why Willian has that time to play that ball in, and it's sort of Chelsea, I think, that was the story of the day. It was Chelsea just fighting that little bit harder, having that extra effort. Christian Polisic, even if he doesn't get a clean attempt on I think he gets like a knee slash a thigh to it but just being there to keep that play alive so that it then spills to Abraham and Abraham then gets that chance and then it's cleared off the line by Fernandinho's hand a deliberate handball at that like it was just that extra little bit of effort that I think made the difference on the day.
0: And speaking of effort, I also noticed Pulisic's <laughs> defensive work, right? This wasn't just Pulisic. It was how William was doing it on the other side. Uh, Mount yeah. and Barkley were doing it in central midfield. A lot of just tracking back and making it hard for Man City to get any overloads, right? Pulisic essentially mm. followed Kyle Walker any time he went deep and also did a really good job of always keeping the passing angle so that Kyle Walker was blocked so they couldn't get the ball to him. And then Willian did the same on the other side with Mendy. It's, it's actually the first time, it's obviously I haven't always paid attention, but it's the first time I've seen Frank Lampard's Chelsea have a really good defensive game plan and not just be mm-hmm. a, we'll try and score more than you. I, I'm crazy, Frank Lampard, let's go touch <laughs> situation. You know I mean, it made me feel um, more optimistic about Lampard as a more mm-hmm. mature coach who can have a sort of more conservative plan if needed.
1: Do you think he got any phone calls from Liverpool people saying thank you?
0: Somebody, right? Steven Gerrard, maybe.
1: <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we couldn't play together in the middle, but I thank you for your efforts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else to add on this? Um, I, w- I will say we mentioned um, Adam Whittaker Navely's newsletter. Mm-hmm. I'm editing today. I'll put a link in the show notes because people should subscribe. Oh, thank you. That's a great um, newsletter.
1: I agree with that uh, and I I love me some Adam. Um, I will just say and this kind of connects to what we're going to talk about in just a second that there were moments in this game where I think you could also see Man City shooting themselves in the foot Uh, not just the Benjamin Mendy double mistake but there's Raheem Sterling hitting the post and obviously could have just kind of given a little bit of a tap to the side and Gabriel Jesus passes into an empty net. There's Aderson passing the ball straight to Mason Mount and that's almost a goal and there were moments when I think you could see Man City sort of already being like "All right, let's just let Liverpool win the <laughs> like and I don't even mean it like I don't mean it like that, but I do mean that it was that sort of like we are twenty points behind or twenty-three points behind we're not going to make this up. And I think if it had been three points behind, maybe there's just a bit more sharpness, but we can talk more about Man City and what happens next for them in the next segment of the show. Oh yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Final thing I'd like to uh, to note on this is a Joseph Lowry tweet. So you know Joe Lowry. Mm. Um, he's the one of the no. co-hosts of is MLS Assist. You may have heard of him. Uh, oh, Jordan Show? I love that show. Jordan Show. Yeah, Lowry makes an occasional appearance. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. he noted that after we'd seen uh, Gio Reyna play left-center mid, for Borussia Dortmund last week, that there's a possible oh future U.S. men's national team lineup where we all accept that Pulisic's best position is left wing, right foot, cutting inside. And we maybe we see Gio Reyna play left, center, mid. And that's the lineup we see for the U.S. men's national team. And he's already trademarked it, has Joe Lowry. He's dubbed it rotation station. <laughs> because Pulisic can play central, <laughs> Reyna can play wide. We could see them line up with like Pulisic on the left, Gio Reyna left, center, mid and then lots of back and forth between them terrifying oppositions
1: I mean I am okay with that I am excited about that and I would like that to happen now so I need all the other games to just stop we don't need any more competitions let's just get right to the national team doing yeah things. back
0: to back to international football please let's do it yes he also he also yes. did warn us that it might be over dribble station TM as well <laughs> but even that I'd I'd like to watch that anyway Oh, I love Jill. (laughs) Oh, more MLS assist news maybe coming Mm -hmm. in the near future. But we've definitely got Fubo news, Taylor. We've definitely got Fubo news. Today's show is sponsored by Fubo TV. You've heard us talk about Fubo TV. Fubo TV is how I watched um, the Liverpool Crystal Palace game on my DVR. It's how I watched the Chelsea Man City game in my car briefly and then on DVR when I got home on my laptop and on my TV. It's my favorite TV provider. And it's about to be even more my favorite TV provider. Have you talked about the Fubo News, Taylor, on the ads while I've been away?
1: Not only have I talked about it, but I talked about it by reading your your, your, uh, text to me so that I made sure not to get it wrong. (laughs) Daryl was like, here's the language that we should use. And I was like, here's the language I'm going to use.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the big news for anyone who didn't hear those shows uh, this week is that Fubo had all the soccer networks except for ESPN. There was an announcement this week that Fubo and Disney, who owns ESPN, have reached an agreement in the future Fubo will carry ESPN. So I think Fubo is going to become the first um, like over the internet, TV provider to complete the set and have all the possible soccer channels available. Basically, I mean, it Fr- really Fubo wins essentially. <laughs> it really
1: does. It's insane. Like it, it is far and away my favorite app for sure. Uh, and and it's because they're going. They will soon have everything. We we hope. We look forward to that. But it's also for things like um, there was uh, a game this weekend. I forget which one it was. Where I think like fifteen minutes had already gone. And I remember that game was happening. And I just went to the app really quickly. It's really easy to find the games and you just hit that record button and it records the whole thing. So even yes. if you've missed those yes. first 15 minutes, it starts from the beginning.
0: I know I'm getting overexcited, but that really is my favorite thing because no, I'm quite, I'm quite often 15 minutes late to a game. and yep. like <laughs> um, When you know that Fubo will backfill for you and record the whole thing, yep. you could tune in in the 91st minute, right? And you can still, mm-hmm. it'll record the whole game. And even if you don't manage that, you've got 72 hours to watch it on demand. Even if you don't yes. click the DVR record button at all, hooray for Fubo.
1: Yeah, but like, and and then agreed, because think about this weekend, though we still don't have ESPN yet, we do have, say, be in sports, you can watch some Turkish Super League if you want, but then we've got the Premier League, you can watch Bundesliga, you can watch La Liga, you have CBS Sports Network, so the NWSL Challenge Cup begins this weekend, you can watch those games too. You could really just never leave your house and just watch soccer all weekend. They make it that easy.
0: I mean, that's mostly what I've been doing, thanks to coronavirus. Yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just instead of bad peripherally related to soccer. Netflix shows, we can actually just watch soccer. That's the difference.
0: And if you'd like to get a seven-day free trial to Fubo, you can go to fubo.tv slash tss. That's fubo.tv slash tss. Start your free seven-day trial. And they really will. You get seven days for free. And then on the sixth day, they will remind you, hey, this free trial is happening. If you want to cancel it, now's the time to cancel it. They're not even trying to trick you like some people are. They'll actually remind you that your seven-day free trial is almost up they're so confident that you'll experience it and want to keep it because also if you get the family plan it's not that much it's about 50 dollars mm-hmm. for the family plan 500 hours of dvr and um, 50 dollars is much more affordable than most cable providers fubotv slash tss sorry taylor
1: and and i would say uh with that family plan three people can watch it once make of that what you will is all i'll say there <laughs>
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Uh,
1: so, Daryl, I alluded to this earlier, but with uh, the Premier League title now decided, yes, yes. Uh, people do not need to watch the Premier League anymore, right? We're done. League is over. We can just call it a day.
0: Incorrect. So, okay. Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool have got the title sewn up. Yeah, Man City. I don't know, not not mathematically, but Man City are gonna finish second, right? Mm-hmm. But there is plenty to still to play for, or even still to watch for in the Premier League. So here, now, we present on the Total Soccer Show our reasons to keep watching the Premier League.
1: Yes, and I would start with one that, like... It wouldn't be us if we didn't reject our own premise, and I'm <laughs> going to do that here. Because if you were only watching the Premier League to see a title race, you didn't need to watch, as I said, since January. <laughs> like, it is it is the case that we don't quite have the, the Bayern-Dortmund situation where it's like, oh, in the first two games, it went from it being like, maybe we'll have a title race to like, yes. nope, it's going to be Bayern again. Like, it was sort of – we already knew it was – unless something went horrifically wrong from Liverpool – it was already their title, and now that we've had that, there's certainly other stuff to pay attention to. But that was not never going to be the thing that everybody was tuning in for, for sure.
0: So, what, what's on your list, Taylor? What are you What are you going to mm-hmm. keep watching the Premier League for?
1: Um, I am going to go dramatic to start because I want to see what happens with Spurs uh, because that is a team who. We saw them get back sung. They got by Harry Kane. uh, And it seemed like, okay, things are going to click. Jose Mourinho has has sort of got the players he needs to play the way he wants. But then there is the Ndombele saga, which continues. There are reports now that he says he'll never play for Jose Mourinho again. I think the more likely scenario, because from what I've read, is Ndombele is a bit more soft-spoken, a bit more sort of introspective. I think he doesn't speak English fluently yet, so I think is less likely to give these big bombastic statements, but I think is very frustrated by the situation at Tottenham. And this is a player who's on 200,000 pounds a week. Oof. So do they bring him back in? Is he sort of reintegrating into the squad and everything is fine? Or is he going to continue to sit on the bench and things are going to get worse? It feels, the joke has already been made that it feels like we're already like nearing the end of the second season with Jose Mourinho, <laughs> even though he's only been there for months. Um, but how he's able to get that squad playing or if he's able to get that squad playing, I think will be very well, compelling uh, TV. And
0: the tough thing is like, we haven't talked about this, but Tottenham won 2 0 this week, right? They beat West Ham 2 exactly. 0. I want to say Harry mm-hmm. Kane scored this week as well. So they are somewhat back, right? So we could yeah. have a situation where Spurs are actually doing well, but is on the bench, right? And I think mm-hmm. that plays into Mourinho's favour, right? It's always harder if you're sort of, exactly. if you've somehow gone to war with your most expensive ever player, um, mm-hmm. who a lot of people, I mentioned this in our sort of what to watch for preview. A lot of people are looking at how Mourinho um, manages and because it might be the evidence for or against the idea that Mourinho can motivate the modern player, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's much It's much easier to say that it's fine if Tottenham are winning. It's much worse if Tottenham were losing and Mourinho's at war with his most expensive player.
1: Yeah, because like we talked about this with the International Champions Cup of History, like Van Hall and Romario. He benches Romario to try to make a statement, and then they stop scoring goals. They don't play well. He brings Romario back, and that basically tells the locker room there won't be ramifications for bad actions if I desperately need you, and that can really make everybody turn against yeah. you. And so do people turn against Jose Mourinho or is it sort of like sorry man but we're still winning so we're okay with it like I, I, I just think they're going to be fun sort of like reality tv to watch while simultaneously also at times being fun to watch because they are so efficient at that sort of smash and grab uh, approach
0: so where are we putting success for Tottenham so I can tell you right now I've got the table in front of me uh, mm-hmm. they're in seventh They are four points behind Wolves in sixth and Man United in fifth, both on 49 points. So Mm -hmm. say Tottenham get a Europa League spot. Can Mourinho claim that as a success? Or does he need to bust all the way up to a Champions League spot?
1: I I think it would be unfair to say that he has to get into the Champions League right now, given the situation he inherited, the incredibly fatigued squad he inherited with a lot of dissatisfied players, combined with the injuries that saw them where they were on the table, I think to then demand he get fourth or maybe fifth, maybe fifth gets you a Champions League spot. But I think that would be unfair. I think what success looks like is by the end of the season is Tottenham a Mourinho team? Does it feel like the players have bought in? Are they playing well? Are they continuing to win? And have they set themselves up for a strong next season? I think that's probably what it is. Like Europa League is is good. I have a feeling that if they make Europa League, he might not prioritize it. Then again, that's how he got into the Champions League with Manchester United. So maybe he's aware of that sort of backdoor way to go about it and prioritizes that. You never know. But I think it just comes down to, does that squad look harmonious or do you still have a lot of glum, sad faces, albeit behind masks? or at least some of them behind masks uh, on the sideline at the end of the season. See, I
0: think I'm mostly with you, but I'm going to say they need to qualify for Europe in some sense. I'm going to call that Europa League at least. And, right. and we need to have some resolution to the Mourinho and Dombele situation, right? And I would okay. even take it as it's not going to work and we managed to sell him for a decent yep. amount of money or we managed to loan him out and someone else is paying that £200,000 a week salary. Or... And Dumbale comes around and is like, "All right, Mourinho's mean, but I'm going to play for him." And and Mourinho's man management style works, right? So some resolution yeah. to the Dumbale situation and Spurs in the Europa League, I'm going to call a success.
1: Um, I I'd agree with that. Okay. And I should add, there are reports that there have been there's been interest from uh, Barcelona and PSG for Ndombele. And uh if Daryl, I know you haven't had a chance to yet, but uh the David's point from yesterday's show was that he thinks we'll see a lot more swap deals or swap deals with a little bit of cash yeah. because it's easier in the financial markets. So maybe we see, say, Usman Dembele swapped for Tanga uh, for Tanga Ndombele. That's a confusing one to say <laughs> out loud that I had not really prepared for. <laughs> and I was like, Am I saying the wrong name here? Uh, But yeah, maybe we'll see something like that. And that probably is also a success if Tottenham make the Europa League, players are playing well. And then even if Ndombele isn't getting minutes, if he does get swapped out, then yeah, I think uh, they'll take that one. Yeah, it's a
0: transfer tongue twister winner, is that? Um, Mm -hmm. All right, so while we're we're talking about Champions League places, here's a reason to keep watching the Premier League. In a weird way, like you mentioned, all the way down to fifth place right now, is possibly a Champions League place because Man City still may be banned from the Champions League next year, right? right? So it's really wide open for those Champions League spots because it's extend- It's theoretically extended to five and we'll find out sometime in July. So yep. there's a long stretch of the season where top five is potentially Champions League. And then even after mm-hmm. that, the race is going to tighten, right? Which is my long-winded mm-hmm. way of saying one of the things worth watching for It's just who makes the Champions League. So Liverpool in first, Man City in second, but they may not qualify. And you've got Leicester, Chelsea, Man United, and I'm going to say in sixth place, level with Man United, Wolves um, on on 49 points. We'll start doing the math as we have these seven games to go, right? There's 21 points Mm -hmm. to play for, and it's pretty tight all the way from Leicester down to Wolves and then Spurs nipping at everybody's heels.
1: It does feel like we we tend to at least in the last few seasons we've gotten like the drama at the on the final day was like who will like will the fourth place team definitely end up in fourth place yeah which isn't that much drama and this time around I do think we're gonna get more drama in who's gonna get those Champions League spots and I think simultaneously we're gonna get more drama at the bottom of the table because you have so many teams what nineteenth to sixteenth uh, is separated by one point yeah uh, and I think like you had a bright in that mix as well, I think maybe they're they're just ahead enough, but it still does feel like we might get an actual like relegation battle and some drama down there. Definitely, and then we are going to get some drama for those Champions League spots.
0: Yeah, for people who haven't got the table in front of them, uh, Norwich are on 21 points. They're bottom and not mathematically relegated, but it just feels like it's over. Right, with all due respect yes. to Delia Smith and uh, yeah, watching them
1: play. Uh, like just seeing Todd Cantwell look as sad as he did and not look as like energetic, like full motor behind him the way I'm used to, yeah. it did feel like the writing was maybe on the wall.
0: I mean, I think Todd Cantwell will be in the Premier League next season, just maybe not no arguments maybe here. not wearing yellow. Um above Norwich, you've got Aston Villa, Bournemouth, mm-hmm. and West Ham all on twenty-seven points, and then Watford on twenty-eight points. And as you mentioned, Brighton are five points clear, um on thirty-three points. So yeah, it's really sixteenth place Watford all the way down to nineteenth. Uh, place villa that's four teams um fighting or fighting to avoid two relegation spots that really could get that could get exciting um as the season goes
1: you've got two teams fighting for 16th and 17th basically essentially yeah
0: Um, what else you got anything else that you're excited or anything else that's going to keep you watching for the rest of the season we haven't even Um, mentioned we haven't even mentioned your new favorite player
1: who's my new favorite player bruno
0: fernandez isn't it
1: Okay, I wasn't sure if you like. I mean, he, he he's he's done been a favorite yeah. player for me this season. Um, but yes, uh, seeing him combined with Paul Pogba and then hearing more about how they're uh, apparently best buddies or growing to be best buddies makes me very very happy. But yes, that Manchester United team uh, that had massive success against Sheffield United is it is the first time I have genuinely genuinely enjoyed watching Manchester United in a very very long time. Uh, and you can sort of see how maybe if they add a Jadon Sancho type player, I still. prefer for Leroy Sana, but uh, if they can add maybe one more piece, that team feels like a team that could be like challenging a bit more not saying they're going to come out and like cause Liverpool drama next year I think that's a big gap still but there are definitely some pieces to this team that have me rubbing my hands together put it that way
0: well here's here's what I think um Mm -hmm. even without Jadon Sancho or Leroy Sané or whatever Manchester United are now a team I want to watch play and to the extent so Wednesday this is Wednesday afternoon they played right Mm -hmm. um in my hotel room I wanted to watch Wolves, right? And I did. I watched Wolves beat Bournemouth 1-0. Um, Selfish. Uh, Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez sco- combined to score the exact same goal that they scored against mm-hmm. West Ham that we talked about <laughs> with Ryan. Do you remember me saying that Traore is crossing to the same spot every time because that's the Wolves' plan? Um, the The goal that they scored that way, This this goal is a carbon copy that they scored against Bournemouth. But while I was watching Wolves, I made sure to have Man United, Sheffield United Mm -hmm. on a second screen. And you know, I'm not a fan of second screen stuff, right? I like to focus. I know. Just because I am so excited about watching Fernandes and Pogba and Martial and Rashford and now Mason Greenwood. That's one of the reasons I was like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm going two screens is because Greenwood was starting um, as well as Pogba starting. Man United are just enjoyable again now. And it's a whole extra exciting element to the Premier League.
1: Is it weird that I always want there to be one Scottish person involved in Manchester United at all times? And I feel like with McTominay in there, I feel better about things as well.
0: <laughs> did, did he start that game? So you happy? I can't remember. I think, I oh no, Matic
1: did. started in there. No, he, he 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 was one of the quintuple, I believe. Gotcha. But as long as he's in and around the Match day squad, I was actually really surprised by how much I enjoyed Nemanja Matic as well. Yeah. That's a person who I definitely thought was on the way out and may still well be, but I thought his passing was excellent and he did a good kind of, marshalling of the defence, marshalling of the midfield job that maybe Scott McTominay can learn?
0: Well, am I right in thinking that um, Man United played a back three and Matic was in the back three alongside Lindelof and Harry Maguire? I'm pretty sure I saw Matic play left centre-back for United. um, And it's like 3-4-3, essentially, with Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka being allowed to go up and wide.
1: I saw him, see, I don't know, because I saw him in the middle and I saw him over on the right on occasion. But it might well be just that there was a little bit of fluidity with the movement of those centre-backs and and him as a holding midfielder slash centre-back. But yeah, I could see that. That would work. I'm
0: pretty confident that's what Solskjaer did, which, again, makes Man United exciting. They're finding weird little solutions to the problems that they've got. Matic in the back. Matic in the back three.
1: The only reason why I remember him on the right-hand side, this is a very weird thing that I almost went back and rewound to watch, but there's a moment in the, I believe, second half, the ball is going like out of bounds towards the sideline, and Matich is chasing it down, and as it gets to the touchline, he is facing towards the stands, and he plays a pass that is like 45 degrees behind him and to his right, and it was just this moment of like, oh, that's why they're world-class, because his entire body is going in one direction, and just one little touch sends the ball A good 30 yards back behind him in a way that does not make sense, like, if you're studying physics. But I think that's what it means to be a world-class player. So even those little things, I think I was able to enjoy because I'm enjoying that team all the more.
0: You know who's a world-class faker? Who's that? It's Bruno Fernandes. How dare you? Have you seen? How dare you? I mean it in a good way. So I think it's, I can't remember which goal it is, but there's a goal where Fernandes doesn't score it. He ends. He ends up getting basically an MLS assist on the goal.
1: Oh, I thought we were talking about the diving again. Okay. No,
0: not diving. There's the thing where he fakes two shots at the top of the box. Yes. And Sheffield United yeah. players don't just they don't just buy it in that way where you just kind of flinch when someone shoots. Yeah. Two. I don't know who they were, but two different Sheffield United players yep. go all in on like grenade, and they dive on top of it. <laughs> yep. You know I mean? <laughs>
1: that's so well said, dude. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what they do. <laughs> um it was almost as good. I think it was Martin Atkinson in the Liverpool game. I meant to mention this earlier, but when Fabinho scores uh his his screamer, Atkinson with a dummy. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's no. a square ball that he lets run through his legs to Fabinho who then hits that shot. <laughs> so Atkinson gets a little credit there, but not as much as uh, Bruno Fernandes for his his dummies and fakes and little bit little flicks and tricks. It makes me very happy.
0: The final thing I've got that I'm looking out for is mm-hmm. the Mikel Arteta Arsenal experiment I know
1: can I tell you you, can I tell you one of my final two things yeah go for it will Mikel Arteta and Arsenal gel and how strong will they finish
0: it's interesting right because they beat Southampton 2-0 I didn't see the full game I've Mm -hmm. only seen the goals but what I saw looked pretty good and I know that you and me and Ryan kind of got into it about about Arsenal on Sunday's weekend review I still think there's a really good chance that Mikel Arteta um, essentially, wins the battle of wills and comes out on top and gets Arsenal playing the way he wants them to play. Because um, I saw at least one of these goals involved Pierre Emerick Aubameyang looking a lot more enthusiastic than he has done the last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I still,
1: I still, I, I am, and I think I have been with you that. In terms of the like hierarchy of problems at Arsenal, Mikel Arteta is not the number one problem, nor has he been. And I think that there are many other issues that need to be resolved. Some of it relates to playing style and getting people kind of familiar. Some of it relates to getting some players gone so that then other players can come in that fit what he wants to do more. But I think as long as Mikel Arteta is given the freedom to continue to sort of develop the team the way he wants, I think Arsenal will continue to be a captivating team. And I mean that, in a positive way and also a backhanded way, because it could, be, it could mean that we see the sort of Arsenal that we've come to expect of Arsenal, where it's a lot of quick passes and quick interchanges and really pretty goals. But it could also be weird moments that don't quite make sense because of some of the people that are involved in that team uh, on any given day.
0: I, I just think we're eventually going to see an Arsenal team that looks a bit like Manchester City in a good way. Mm-hmm. But it's. Yeah. There's good, I think there are going to be some casualties along the way. Like maybe Mesut yeah. Ozil, who I thought would be key to it all, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. Given what's happened, he, he didn't play again. I don't think uh, this week. I think he was left on the bench. Um, I think yeah, we're going to essentially slowly see Arteta um, establish himself as someone who you don't you don't cross <laughs> if you're playing mm-hmm. for Arsenal and. I'm interested in watching that battle of wills between now and the end of the season and seeing how far Arteta gets in his progression towards making Arsenal look like he wants them to look like.
1: All right. Um, That was my only point for Arsenal. I have one more for a London team, unless you want to talk more Arsenal.
0: No, I'm I'm done with Arsenal.
1: All right. Then my final thing, I think reason to keep watching is for Christian Pulisic because we know there there's a lot of fixtures coming up. It doesn't mean that like you're going to get the same starting 11 every single game because there's just no way you can do that. But I do want to see if he sort of cements that starting spot. It has been a very long time since I felt like I could tune into a game and feel comfortable that Christian Pulisic was either going to start or at least get some minutes yeah. um like there it, it has been much more of a like oh he got a game oh but then he didn't get that game oh he got like 10 minutes here but then he's not playing this week like and i want to see if we now see him Get those consistent starts and get more consistent minutes as this season concludes. Because with the people that we know are coming in and the people they've been linked with who might come in, I think he kind of does need to finish this season on a very strong standing to keep himself in good standing for preseason next year.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I would argue that what well, he scored. Which
1: will be four days after the season ends. He
0: scored uh, two in his last two, right? He scored in both of his last mm-hmm. two games. He was, uh, it's his best performance, we agreed, uh, we think, yep. for Chelsea, the recent one against Manchester City. If Christian Pulisic is not in the starting 11 for Chelsea's next game, it won't be because Frank Lampard doesn't think he's in the best 11 players. It'll be a squad rotation issue. Um, I've just pulled up Chelsea's schedule. They're away to Leicester on Sunday, June 28th. They're away to West Ham on Wednesday, July 1st. And then they're at home to Watford on Saturday, July 4th. So he's probably not going to play 90 minutes in those three games because they're so close together. I think the Leicester game will
1: actually be really
0: tough. Yes, we'll see plenty of him. And I think that Leicester game is, in terms of the difficulty of the opponent, that's the biggest of the three, right? Because that's fourth place um, away to second place. I expect Christian Pulisic to start that game because it's at least, uh, what, three, four days since the last game. So it's not as if he's going to be super tired.
1: Right. But in, but, but I think that is the thing though, that like, but you could still like theoretically have it be that, oh, he played midweek. So we're going to put another winger in there. We'll get him a break and then we'll have him play West Ham. And that's where I think because it's Leicester, because of the top four implications, if we do see him, I think that does sort of say Frank Lampard does value him as a starter in his like, first choice 11 right now if you're playing a strong team
0: i'm also whatever happens i think he'll come off the bench if he doesn't start for example um i'm quite looking forward to just having three christian pulisic appearances to think about and watch um in such a short space of time right it's it's as close as we're going to get to watching the u.s national team
1: there we go all right (laughs) so uh that maybe that's the uh the end-all-be-all answer. It's as close (laughs) as we're going to get to watching the U.S. national (laughs) team.
0: Oh, and speaking of, um, I still hold out some hope that Owen Atosowi might get off the bench for Wolves or get on the bench for Mm -hmm. Wolves at some point for the rest of this season. So we'll have another U.S. debut in the Premier League. And Indiana Veselov keeps being on the Aston Villa bench but not making an appearance. I think we'll see Indiana Veselov at some point, because as I just mentioned, I think the schedule is about to tighten, right? it's certainly going to be mm-hmm. a lot of games in quite a short space of time um, over the next uh, two weeks or so. I am excited for it. All right. Let's 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 keep watching it. And again, you can watch it via our sponsor, Fubo.tv slash TSS. If you sign up for that seven day free trial, um, you get NBC Sports Network.
1: And, you know, while you're doing that, while you're sitting on the couch watching those Fubo games, you could do Roman too, and then you get both sponsors covered. <laughs>
0: perfect what a perfect afternoon you could have of course (laughs) and on that note daryl grove anything else to add no nothing else to add except you and ryan will be back uh with a weekend review right um after this weekend you are correct yes and then taylor and i will be back with our how liverpool done it show sometime next week (laughs) title pending title how do you do that? yep taylor rockwell thank you for taking the time to talk to me today Right back at you, buddy. Good to have you back. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.
2: Hi, Meg Linehan here. I'm your friendly neighborhood staff writer at The Athletic covering women's soccer, including the U.S. Women's National Team and the National Women's Soccer League. I'm super excited to tell you that we're taking our coverage to a whole new level this month with a weekly podcast on women's soccer, starting Thursday, June 25th, on full-time with Meg Linehan, and I promise at some point I will probably get used to my name being in the title. I'll fill you in on the major stories every week, but my main goal is taking my love of future stories full of nuance and detail and bringing that energy to full-time. Plus, I'll have plenty of interviews with insiders from around the game, including my fellow writers in the soccer world. It's not just what's happening on the field either, even as the NWSL prepares to kick off the Challenge Cup in Utah at the end of the month. I've never shied away from the bigger picture, and full-time will be more of the same as we tackle the culture, context, and conversations about the sport here in America and beyond. If you want to hear full-time ad-free, head to theathletic.com or the Athletic app. If you haven't subscribed yet, well, it's the perfect time for it to make sure that you catch all of our Challenge Cup coverage. Plus, we have a great deal for 40% off a new annual subscription if you head to theathletic.com slash full-time. Again, that's theathletic.com slash full-time. You get the show ad-free, you get all of our women's soccer coverage, plus everything else we have to offer. But no matter what, you can always listen to Full-Time with Meg Linehan every week on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice.